Turn to Mark chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. Mark 11, 25 and 26. And when ye stand praying, forgive. If ye have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if ye do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. But if ye do not forgive, our Lord's telling us in this text, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. Jesus is commanding you to forgive, and God expects you to forgive. I think we all want God to forgive us, do we not? And hasn't God forgiven us? And Jesus is teaching us this condition that our forgiveness is hinged on us forgiving. Why do you suppose Jesus put this lesson in the Word? Could it be because it isn't the easiest thing to do? We, it's, as human beings, we have a tendency to take things personally, you know. Uh, we, someone trespasses against us, Jesus said, if you're praying, and he said, when you stand praying, in this case, you're standing. I guess maybe this, does this only apply if you're standing? If you're kneeling or sitting praying, this doesn't apply? <laughs> no, it applies. And he said, there you are praying, and you realize that if you have ought against any, you're holding things against somebody. He said, forgive. So it's something you have to work at. It isn't something that's going to happen automatically. But it's something that you have to do. It's something you have to work at and you need God's help to do it. So as we look at this subject this morning, let us consider that. God wants us to be a forgiving people. So we're going to look at how forgiving God is and then some examples the Bible gives us of forgiveness. In the book of Philippians, chapter 3, 8 to 15. Philippians 3, 8 to 15. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after it, that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. In that 15th verse, Paul made this statement, forgetting those things, or not the 15th, 
the uh, 13th verse. Or is it the 12th? Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth. We all forget things, do we not? But some things we don't forget. And where we don't forgive, we remember. And where we don't forgive and we remember, we hold it against them. We don't forget it. But Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind. It's over. It's gone. It's past. It's done. We So many times we fail to realize how smooth our adversary is. The devil's really tricky, you know. He's uh, he's on the job. And the Bible says, give not place to the devil. But I, I can inform you, you don't have to give place to the devil. If you just let your guard down a little bit, he'll use you. Now I know that it's nice to think that as Christians perfected, sanctified, that the devil doesn't use me. But I invite you to study the subject closely in the Bible, and you'll discover that the devil uses people even when they're not aware. And the the reason he's able to do that is because we're all human beings in a fleshly body. Remember when Peter was real close to the Lord, and the Lord was talking to Peter and and James and John on the Mount of Transfiguration, and Peter got all inspired and was ready to build three tabernacles there. It was only a short while after that that Jesus was explaining to them that he was going to go to the cross and suffer many things, and he was going to be crucified on the cross. And Peter rebuked the Lord. (laughs) Now, to think that Peter had so much wisdom, or that you or I have so much wisdom, that we could straighten out the Lord. But Peter took Jesus aside, the the scripture said. And there he began to speak to him and tell him, hey, this isn't isn't right. This isn't what's going to occur here. I mean, you you got all power. They, They can't crucify you. And you know what Jesus said to Peter? Get thee behind me, Satan. Was Peter the devil? No. Was the devil using Peter? Mm -hmm. That's what Jesus meant. That's the devil talking, Peter. You You didn't get that revelation from God. You didn't get that kind of understanding like you did previously when when you said that I was the Son of God. That revelation you got from God, but you didn't get this from God. And Peter was very sincere. Peter thought what he was doing was right. But Christ rebuked him very harshly and used that word, get thee behind me, Satan. He said, for thou art an offense unto me. Nevertheless, that didn't mean that Peter got tossed out of the kingdom, right? No, we got the all the accounts of how God blessed him and used him in the book of Acts and, and two books that he wrote in the New Testament force, giving us good instruction. But Peter just didn't comprehend. He opened his mouth when he should have just kept it shut. But we all do that sometimes. At times we think we got the solution, and we speak up. And when we do, and the devil is using us, the Lord isn't. Offenses will come, the Bible tells us. Paul said, forgetting those things. I press toward the mark. Forgetting those things which are behind. It's over. In the book of Luke, chapter 17, verses 1 through 5. Luke 17, 1 through 5. Then said he unto the disciples, 
It is impossible that offenses will come, but woe unto him through whom they come. Offenses will come. You're going to get offended. It's going to happen. And woe unto unto uh, you or that person that the offenses come through. And that might be you. And what's Jesus mean, woe unto you? Well, Peter suffered because of the offense that came through him, and you're going to suffer too. If If you allow the devil to use you, or if he tricks you into using you, you're going to suffer because of that. The, the law of sowing and reaping is always there. So it isn't something to regard lightly and to say, oh, well, the devil got me like the, uh, I think of Muhammad when he wrote the, well, he didn't write the Quran, but he would fall into these trances and he would rattle off streams of stuff and his assistants would write it down and a bunch of passages that were written in the Quran, Muhammad later uh, erased them or struck them out because he said it wasn't God that gave those passages, it was the devil. Now, that's where they refer to them as the satanic verses because it was the devil that gave them and not God. Well, there's some truth to that Because every word you speak as a Christian isn't the word of God. If it were, then you're infallible. Right? And isn't that one of our big contentions about the Roman Catholic system? The Pope is infallible. And in reality, that's not exactly what they teach anyway. The teaching is the Pope's infallible when he's under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And so that actually applies to every Christian. But you're not always under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. There are a lot of other spirits out there. And Muhammad may not be the only one who gives some, spouts off some verses that are satanic. Offenses will come. Verse 2, it were better for him, talking about the one who the fence comes through, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he cast into the sea, than that he should offend one of these little ones. Now, this is going to happen. It's going to occur. And the person that the devil uses is going to suffer. Here's your instruction. Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. That's simple enough, isn't it? I don't like what you said. I don't like the way you said it. Rebuke him, the Bible says. Right? That upset me. Who's supposed to do the rebuking? I don't like that. I think I'll just tear that page out of my Bible. Let somebody else live according to that, right? When Jesus said that we must live by every word to proceed out of the mouth of God, that's what he meant. That's why we have a lot of problems that never get resolved in in churches, in families, in fellowships, because people don't do won't do this. People are offended, offense comes. And people are offended, but instead of rebuking the person that offended them, they go talk to their friends or to anyone who will lend an ear. It may not necessarily be their friends, maybe the people they work with on the job or just somebody in the, uh, or whatever, and start a stream of gossip, so to speak, rather than rebuke the person through whom the offense came. Jesus clearly said it, direct and simple. Rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. You rebuke him. He repents. He said, I'm sorry. I didn't intend to mean that. I didn't mean that. Whatever the case is, I'm sorry. I repent. Please forgive me. Put it behind you. Easy said, right? Easy said. Well, that's the solution. That's the formula. And if he trespass against thee, 
again. <laughs> that might not be the end of it. If he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day, turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. Can you handle seven times in a day? I dare say, in our wimpy society we live in today, most people can't handle three times, period, much less seven in a day. We're not very courageous. We don't endure much suffering in our culture. We're very protected and protective. And therefore... We're, we don't have much alligator hide. People are offended very easily. But Jesus said, if this were the case, and it happened seven times in one day, and that person asks your forgiveness, grant it. Because is it really that person that's doing the offending, or is it Satan? Remember what Jesus' words to Peter, Thou art an offense to me. Get thee behind me. He didn't say get thee behind me, Peter. Because Jesus realized this wasn't Peter running his mouth. This was the devil getting a hold, using Peter because of his lack of wisdom and understanding. Because of the position in which Peter was at, the devil was able to use him that day to be an offense to the Lord. So the Lord didn't rebuke Peter. He did. It was Peter. But he's rebuked Satan. Get thee behind me, Satan. Because he realized it was the devil using him. It wasn't. He wasn't meaning anything personally against the Lord. He wasn't personally trying to be smarter than the Lord or to outdo the Lord or anything of that nature. He thought what he was doing was the right thing. He was just operating in his fleshly mindset like we all do. Like we think we know and we think we understand and we operate with our, that's the only flesh, that's the only body and brain we have unless we get a revelation from God. So Jesus said if he repents, forgive him. And seven times in a day. And the apostles said unto the Lord, Increase our faith. Increase our faith. And I think that's where we're at too. Increase our faith. Can we really take this in? Do we really believe this? Matthew chapter 18 and verse 15. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. Here again, Mark said, rebuke him. Matthew says, go talk to him. All right? With the view in mind of resolving the the offense. Verse 21 to 35, still in Matthew chapter 18, jumping down to verse 21. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times Seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened to a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him ten thousand talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. The servant thereof fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. 
Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry, and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, and said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desiredest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth, and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if you from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. And I find it interesting that he said, forgive his brother their trespasses. He's not talking about the world. He's talking about the family of God. And he's reminding us in this account that he forgave you a great debt. He forgave you a great debt. He forgave me a great debt. And the trespasses that people would trespass against me are minor in comparison. And though he forgave us this great debt, if we are not forgiving as well to others, he'll reinstate the debt. That's what this story tells me. And that's what he meant. If you don't forgive others, neither will your heavenly father forgive you. You'll be required. It'll be required of you. And how often shall I forgive him? Seventy times seven. Now that's 490 times if you want to keep track. But I believe the implication there is as often as it's required. If you realize when people trespass against you, the devil's using them. It isn't the Lord. It isn't them doing something against you personally. It's the devil, just like it was the devil was using Peter that day. Christ is our example. Luke chapter 23, verses 33 and 34. Luke 23, verses 33 and 34. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary... There they crucified him, and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. There's your example. They nailed him on the cross. They crucified him at Calvary. And his prayer was, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. You see, our attitude so often is they know very well what they're doing. They're doing that on purpose. They're just being mean to me. Not at all. Not at all. No one endeavoring to live a Christian life is mean to anybody, except for to the devil. No one endeavoring to live a Christian life is mean to anyone. It doesn't happen. That doesn't mean you won't offend others. Just like Peter offended the Lord. Or that anyone else offended. That's why the Bible talks about forgiving and forbearing and and being long-suffering and teaches us all those things because it's going to occur. But it isn't because they mean. It isn't because they know what they're doing. No, you don't. When Satan takes over and he takes charge, people don't know what they're doing. The sinner doesn't know what he's doing. He thinks he does, but he doesn't. 
Christ is our example. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Let's look at the example Joseph gave us in the Old Testament. I love this story of Joseph. In Genesis chapter 37, verses 1 through 4, I'm going to follow the this account of Joseph through several chapters. Beginning with Genesis 37, verse 1 through 4. And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being seventeen years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah, and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age and he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. Now this is the situation in Joseph's family. And one of the things I like about the account of Joseph, he was a teenager. 17 years old. 17. That's where the story begins. And his brothers hated him. He was the pet, right? Now, I I don't understand why all that happens, but the Bible said Joseph or Jacob's love for Joseph was greater because he was the son of his old age. I I don't know that my love for the younger children is greater than it is for the older. It is different because of age, but it isn't that it's greater. And nevertheless, Joseph's brothers hated him. And in time to pass, they got their chance to do something about it. Verse 18, still in chapter 37, verse 18 to 28. And when they saw him afar off, Even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him, and cast him into some pit, and we will say some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. And Reuben heard it, And he delivered him out of their hands and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said unto them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that is in the wilderness, and lay no hand upon him, that he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him to his father again. And it came to pass when Joseph was come unto his brethren that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him. And they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat bread. They lifted up their eyes and looked, and behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brethren were content. Then there passed by Midianites, merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for twenty pieces of silver, and they brought Joseph into Egypt. Now obviously his brethren really hated him. Right? And here they sell him as a slave. He's 17 years old now. Story goes on in chapter 39. I'm going to jump over to chapter 39 and read from verse 7 through 23. Verse 7, And it came to pass after these things that the master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, And she said, Lie with me. 
Now, Joseph has been a slave in Egypt for a number of years. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. Now then, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And it came to pass as she spoke to Joseph day by day, that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business, and there was none of the men of the house there with him. And she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. And it came to pass when she saw that she had left, that he had left his garment in her hand and was fled forth that she called unto the men of her house and spake unto them saying, See, he hath brought in a Hebrew unto us to mock us. He came in unto me to lie with me and I cried with a loud voice. And it came to pass when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried that he left his garment with me and fled and got him out. She laid, laid up his garment by her until his Lord came home. And she spake unto him according to these words, saying, The Hebrew servant, which thou hast brought unto us, came in unto me to mock me. And it came to pass, as I lifted up my voice and cried, that he left his garment with me and fled. And it came to pass, when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant to, to thee, that his wrath was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison, and whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not through anything that was under his hand, because the Lord was with him, and that which he did the Lord made to prosper. Remember, Joseph, 17 years old, his brethren hated him. They sold him as a slave. He's a slave in Egypt. But Joseph had some courage. Joseph had some morality. Joseph stood for what was right, and God honored him. No pastor, no mother, no father, no, no congregation, no priest. His, his situation could have looked pretty hopeless, right? And because of his faithfulness to God, because of his moral conviction, the woman scorned lied on him. And sent him into prison. And so he went off to prison. But even there the Bible said God gave him favor in the prison. Nevertheless it was a prison. And no prison is too comfy. At least the dungeon in those days wasn't. It wasn't the Cumberland County Resort. And if you'll read on through chapter 40 you'll find that when Joseph was in that prison that Joseph was still honored by God to interpret dreams. And in the process of time, some of the other king's servants there that were imprisoned, Joseph interpreted their dreams for them. And he told the cupbearer that he would be restored to his position. And in verse 14, Joseph made this request, But think on me when it shall be well with thee, and show kindness, I pray thee, unto me, and make mention of me unto Pharaoh, and bring me out of this prison. For I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also have I done nothing that they should put me into the dungeon. So Joseph wanted out. And so he made that request of the cupbearer who was to be restored to his position of bearing the cup to the Pharaoh. Well, 
the cupbearer was released from prison like Joseph interpreted. And he was restored to his position, but he forgot about the request Joseph made for two years. But then it came to pass at the end of two years, chapter 41 and verse 1, it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh dreamed, and behold, he stood by the river. And Pharaoh had a dream. And then the cupbearer remembered when Pharaoh had this dream that, ha, this Hebrew down there in the prison, I forgot. Do you think he just intended to forget? Nah. God was doing this. God was doing this. So in chapter 41, then we have the account of how the Pharaoh dreamed the dream and how the butler remembered that, that Joseph was an interpreter of dreams. And so the butler then informed the Pharaoh and the Pharaoh sent for uh, Joseph. Verse 14. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph and brought him hastily out of the dungeon. And he shaved himself and changed his raiment and came in to Pharaoh. Changed his raiment and came in unto Pharaoh. Verse 46. And Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Why do you suppose the Bible tells us he was 17 when his brother sold him into slavery? And he was 30 when he got out of the dungeon. Just to give you some idea, 13 years a slave, and a prisoner. That'd be enough time to build up some real resentment and bitterness and hatred towards your, though your brethren. And you'd be ready to get even the score by now, right? Most people, yes. Absolutely. Don't get mad, get even. Right? He had 13 years to think about it. But what did he think about it? His interpretation of the Pharaoh's dreams were that there's going to be seven years of plenty and then there'll be seven years of famine. And the seven years of famine is going to eat up all the grain and every all the food stores of the seven years of plenty. And so he advised the Pharaoh to appoint someone over the business and collect uh, the surplus and store it so as the people would have food through the famine. And the Pharaoh decided it wasn't anybody any more wisdom than Joseph, and he appointed him. And Joseph became the vice president, if there were such a term, of Egypt. He became the second to the Pharaoh of Egypt, which was the way God had it, planned it all along. After two years, the famine became so great that his family off in their country, ran out of food. And as a result, Jacob sent Joseph's brothers into Egypt because they heard there was grain in Egypt. So he sent his brothers there to buy grain. And his brothers came and they bought grain. In chapter 45, you can read the whole story. If it's been a while since you read it, I advise that you read it. But going to chapter 45, we'll read the first 15 verses. His brethren had come and bought grain. And the Bible then says, Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all them that stood by him, and he cried, Cause every man to go out from me. And there stood no man with him while Joseph made himself known unto his brother. And he wept aloud. And the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard. And Joseph said unto his brother, I am Joseph. Doth my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him 
for they were troubled at his presence. And Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near. And he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom ye sold into Egypt. Now therefore, be not grieved, nor angry with yourselves, that ye sold me hither. For God did send me before you to preserve life. For these two years hath the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years in the which there shall neither be earing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve you, a posterity in the earth, and to save your lives by great deliverance. So now, it was not you that sent me hither, but God. Boy, those are powerful words. Those are powerful words. That's an understanding of how Satan works and how God works. It wasn't you. It was God. But believe me, they were plenty worried, those brothers. He hath made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Haste ye and go up to my father and say unto them, Thus saith thy son Joseph, God hath made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down unto me, tarry not. And there and thou shalt dwell in the land of Goshen and thou shalt be near unto me, thou and thy children, and thy children's children, and thy flocks, and thy herds, and all that thou hast. And there will I nourish thee, for yet there are five years of famine, lest thou and thy household, and all that thou hast, come to poverty. And behold, your eyes see in the eyes of my brother Benjamin, that it was my mouth that speaketh unto you. And ye shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt, and of all that ye have seen. And ye shall haste and bring down my father hither. And he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brethren and wept upon them. And after that, his brethren talked with him. And of course, you can read on in the account. And you'll find that those brethren suffered because of selling their brother Joseph. I mean, they were very, very fearful. Joseph was Lord. He was the leader. He could have had their heads lopped off in a second. And But they had that to carry with them, that conviction, that, that uh, guilt for allowing the devil to use them to hate their brother so. Now, Joseph, in my opinion, in, I believe, is one of the greatest examples in the Bible of forgiveness. Because he had all those years to build up a resentment, but instead of building up a resentment, he cemented forgiveness. If Joseph could do that, spending 13 years as a slave and a prisoner, Surely we ought to be able to forgive those that trespass against us. And with God's help, we can do it. The Bible teaches us that all things work together for, for our good, does it not? Romans 8 and 28. But do we really believe that? When someone offends you and does something that hurts you, how can that be for your good? Well, I don't always know that. But that's where faith comes in. God said it does. And I've seen where I've been hurt through the years that it has helped me and it has been good for me. Now, I, I don't have all the answers. I don't understand everything. But I believe that what God said is true. It works for my good. Somehow, some way where we've been able to see the answer we could see here in Joseph, 
And we, and of course, in our instant world, we're not looking 13 years down the road for the answer. Actually, 13 years a slave and a prisoner, then seven years of plenty made 20, and then two more years of famine before his brethren came into Egypt. 22 years from the time they sold him until they met again. 22 years. But today in our instant coffee world where we want the result right now. Don't always, it don't happen that way in God's time clock. In the book of Acts, chapter 7, there's, there's an account of a man named Stephen. Acts chapter 7. Reading verse 54 to 60. Acts seven fifty four. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said thus, he fell asleep. Pretty difficult to forgive somebody when you're being stoned. I don't mean with alcohol, I mean with stones. Right? But Stephen is our example. And it's the heart of a true Christian. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 31 and 32. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Why is it in the Bible? Because it's going to happen. You need it. And if only it were practiced. Satan's having a field day causing people in our world today to become bitter. I see it all the time. Angry, clamor, evil speaking. And it's been, it's been in the Bible all these years. Put it away. Forgive. Be tender-hearted. Forgiving one another because Christ hath forgiven us. Colossians chapter 3 verses 12 and 13. Colossians 3 12, 13. Put on therefore as the elect of God holy and beloved bowels of mercies Kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 to 40. Hebrews 11, 32 to 40. And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson 
and of Jephthah, and of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in, in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received again their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mocking and scourging, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise, God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. Down through the ages, God's people have suffered many things, and they have been forgiving people. It's the heart of a Christian. It's a requirement. You'll not be a successful Christian if you don't forgive others. Then God is going to require your sin at your hand. It is said of Samuel Johnson, the great English writer and lexicographer, that the way to get a favor from him was to do him an injury. Evidently, it was characteristic of him to forgive his enemies and pray for them. Emerson said of Lincoln, his heart was as great as the world, but there was no room in it to hold the memory of a wrong. Spurgeon advised, cultivate forbearance until your heart yields a fine crop of it. Pray for a short memory as to all unkindness. That's how the truly wise man acts. Good forgetters. Two little boys had quarreled, but the next morning Johnny took his cap and headed for Bobby's house again. Surprised, an older member of the family said teasingly, What? Going to play with him again? I thought you quarreled only last evening and were never going to have anything more to do with each other. Funny memory you have. Johnny looked a little sheepish, dug his toe into the carpet for a moment, then flashed a satisfied smile as he hurried away. Oh, Bobby and me's good forgetters. Forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth, press toward the mark. Forgive because you want God to forgive you.